going to be reading from Ephesians 6, 10 through 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychemus, <clears throat> the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Today's a bit of a melancholy day for me for a couple of reasons. First, uh, yesterday we drove and dropped off our oldest daughter to her first year of college. Uh, and so uh, I had that experience of, of taking her and dropping her off. And uh, she's fortunately not too far away. She's up in northern Los Angeles at the Master's University. And so, you know, that's melancholy, right? You're excited for your child, um, especially a place like Master's that, that uh, really um, incorporates Christ and Scripture into to everything that they do. And uh, so we're happy for Elle and that experience, but then we're going to miss her, right? So you're kind of melancholy, excited for them, but, but you're going to miss uh, your, your child. Um, and so, yeah, melancholy for that reason. But then the second reason I'm a little melancholy, by no means for the same reason as this. But today's our last message in the book of Ephesians. This is our last message that we'll be looking at this book. Hopefully not the last time in your life you'll open up and read the book of Ephesians, okay? But the last time that we'll be looking at it. We actually started this study uh, in September of 2022, the last Sunday in September. When it was all said and done, we took breaks here and there over the past year. And uh, we'll have spent 34 messages um, in this book. And uh, I've really, myself, personally enjoyed it and felt that that was worthwhile. I went back and was looking at my notes from that first message. And one of the things I said, I think, has proven itself to be true. And that is that every significant theological doctrine for our faith is found in the book of Ephesians and not just 
only every significant theological doctrine, but this one book literally also shows us how those doctrines impact all the areas of life that we live in and the relationships that we have. And, and so this was, this was actually something I put on the screen my very first Sunday preaching in this book. And I said, the singular book of the Bible contains teaching on every significant Christian doctrine and addresses how those doctrines impact the way we live and the variety of relationships that we have in the world. And and I think it's shown that to be true. So today we're saying goodbye to this book, um, but I pray that it is ministered effectively uh, in your life. And now, as we do that, what I want to do this morning is I want to actually start with the last four verses. Uh, our main focus is going to be the armor of God today, but as I was studying this week, the last four verses of Ephesians chapter 6, last four verses of Ephesians they really remind us of something that I think is so significant and important. Let me read those verses again to you. It says this, starting verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ and with a love incorruptible. You know, these last four verses that we see here in Ephesians chapter six, they draw us back into something. What they draw us back to is that all along, while this book teaches on all these significant theological doctrines, while it teaches us how to practice our faith in the world, this book, first and foremost, has been a letter. A letter from a pastor to a church. A letter from a pastor to a church that he himself had helped to plant and establish. The book of Ephesians, while it's had all these profound truths in it, has ultimately been a, a book from a pastor written to a church that he loved and he cared about and telling them, this is what I want you to know, this is what I want you to believe, this is what I want you to live out in light of, of who you are. It's not just some esoteric book, some scientific manual, something that you just put on a shelf. This is, this is a very personal, personal letter. Now... When you think about it in those terms, think about this. Think about the fact that while this was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, he's the human author. But the very first Sunday we preached on this book, I said, while he's the human author, who's the real author of this book? It's God. This book was inspired by God. God inspired Paul to write these things to this church. So ultimately, what we have been reading, church, what we've been studying, it's not just a letter from Paul to believers in Ephesus. This is ultimately a letter from God to all of us. And I want you to consider just for a moment something. Consider with me that God the Father sent Jesus Christ the Son into the world to save and to redeem and to bring us back to himself. But he didn't stop there. Like that would be enough in and of itself, but because of who he is, he not just simply saved us and redeemed us, but then he actually gave us his precious word to have, to communicate with us. As Paul communicates to the church that he loves, really it's God communicating to his people who he loves, who says, and he's him saying, I want you to know me, I want you to know who you are in me, and I've written this to you for that purpose. I mean, how beautiful is that? Can we just stop for a moment and just say, thank you, God, that you would love and care for your people so much 
that you didn't just save and redeem us, but that you chose to continue to speak to us and make your word known. Could you imagine if we didn't have this book? But that's how much our God loves and cares for us and wants to see us live and thrive as as a people. And so when I read Paul here talking to the church in Ephesus, giving this very personal greeting, what I really read is God the Father coming to you and to me and saying in verse 23, peace to you and love with faith from me and from my son Jesus Christ and grace to you who love the Lord Jesus. That's what we have in this book. Now, with all that said, I think there is one more message that God has for all of us, and that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17, and we're going we're to see this final section of God's word as he speaks to us. So I get to say it one more time for the book of Ephesians. Are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow in him? Then let's go to his word. We're going to pick it up in verse 10 one more time, and it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Packed within these verses is so much. In fact, one of the hard things about this section of Ephesians is, as you've seen, it's actually been three messages that we've preached. And so there's so much that I have said, and I'm not going to go back and rehearse it all. But I wanted to show you verse 10 one more time because it's this truth that we've spoken of already. Paul begins his final address with an exhortation. And that exhortation is very simply this. Jesus Christ provides the power for us to live as God's people. If you're to say anything about Ephesians 6.10, it's Paul coming and saying, I don't want you to forget, in light of your internal struggles, in light of spiritual oppression that comes against you, I want you to know that God has given you strength, not in yourself, but in Christ. When he says, be strong in the Lord, what he's saying is look to Jesus to get the strength that you need to be able to live the life that you've been called to live. If you're looking to people or to things, if you're looking to your own willpower, you're going to fail. But in Christ, the power that you need is there. It's available to you. He's been talking about it throughout this this book. I'm reminded of uh, a man by the name of Michael Hagman. Um, Michael Hagman has one of those horrible, awful diseases that in a fallen world is just a testament to the absolute perversion of sin. Um, The disease that he has is muscular dystrophy. It's just such a, I don't know if you've ever known anyone who's had it, if you've seen someone who's had it, it's just a horribly debilitating disease that over time um, eliminates someone's ability, their muscles to ultimately function as they were designed. And so you slowly lose all the strength that you have. And so day-to-day tasks virtually become impossible. There's no cure for it. Um, they've tried to do things to slow it down. And, and Michael Hagman was one of the first people that had the opportunity to try a, a new um, a new treatment, if you will, uh, to help him with his muscular dystrophy. And it's this thing called the, the Mayo shirt. And the Mayo shirt was developed by these engineers and it doesn't cover his entire body. It's really something that he's able to wear. It's a sleeve that covers one of his arms and goes across his chest. And that sleeve is connected to a, a computer with a power source. And the elements that are inside of the, the sleeve ultimately work with the, the smallest motions and the smallest muscles in his body. And through a computer algorithm, when he begins to move, the, the sleeve tightens and constricts. And so when he wears it, he's able to regain 61% of his strength. 
He's able to actually use his arm still for some of those day-to-day -day tasks that muscular dystrophy is ultimately robbing him of. So when he puts it on, 61% of his strength is increased in that arm. The moment he takes it off, though, that power is, is gone. His strength is gone. And I think about that because I think about how all of us really have spiritual muscular dystrophy. Like we do not have the strength inside of ourselves to live the lives that, that we are called to live, but we don't have to look with inside of ourselves because Jesus Christ is the source of our strength. But man, he doesn't just, when we look to him, when we, when we come to Christ, he doesn't just provide 61% of the power we need. He provides all the strength that we need. Isn't that awesome? In fact, Paul, we saw this, had already communicated in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Back then, when he was praying for the church, he said this, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Can I get an amen, <laughs> he says. Because you have and I have in Christ, he says that there is a power there for us that we're able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. Christ's power in you is an unlimited power. So in the face of your struggles, yeah, you don't have to depend upon your own strength. You don't have to depend upon your own power. You look to Christ to give you that strength. But now as we're gonna see this morning in the rest of the message, it's not just there. Two weeks ago, I made this point and now I'm gonna finish it today. While Jesus Christ provides the power for us to live as God's people, let's look at Ephesians 11, 13 through 17 for what else he provides. Look at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul has made an argument already that you have the power that you need to live your life as the people of God. Now he comes and he says, Jesus Christ provides the protection for us to live as God's people. This was the point that was made two weeks ago when we first saw this passage, but now I wanna look at it in the fullness of, of the text. You have not just Christ's power, but you have his protection. And the way that Paul looks to communicate this truth is in this extended section of talking about this armor that you and I are called to put on. He gives us the imagery of a soldier. And whether it's today or even back then, this imagery would be fresh in our minds. He says, I want you to picture a soldier. I want you to picture him fully regaled in all of his armor. I want you to picture someone who is equipped for battle. And if a soldier goes out with all that Paul talks about here, that means he's protected. 
He's protected if he goes out with all the elements of armor that are communicated to us. If a soldier is going to be successful in battle, he has to be adequately equipped. And so Paul says, don't you see it? That's what you have. You are adequately equipped because our protection is God's armor. God's armor. It's not your armor. It's not some other kind of armor. He says, the picture that I want you to have in your mind is that you are a soldier who goes out into the world with God's armor encasing you, covering you. Now, church, how we use that armor What that armor ultimately is, those are the things I'm going to unpack here in just a moment. But before we do that, I want us to stop and I want us to consider what is really being said to the Christian with these verses. I mean, the first thing that should stand out to all of us as we read these verses is this. If we are told in these verses that we are engaged in a battle, and if we are told in these verses that we need to put on armor as we engage in this battle, then at minimum church, one of the things that has to be at the forefront of all of our minds, one of the things that has to impact our way of thinking is that we need to have a soldier's mentality when it comes to our spiritual struggles. Make no mistake, this imagery is used by Paul, inspired by God, intentionally. And what he's trying to get us to see is you need to take seriously your walk of faith in the struggles that you're going to have. You are engaged in a battle, and it's a significant enough battle that you need armor as you go out into the battle, as you face those struggles. And too often, we in the church can, can be laissez-faire about our spiritual lives and about the struggles that we have, and yet this text reminds us, no, you can't be passive. You have to be intentional here. You are going to be attacked. The evil day will be upon you, and you need to be prepared. Like, Paul could have used a lot of different imagery but he didn't because that imagery would not have conveyed the reality of what we face. See, he could have said, I want you to think of yourself like somebody getting ready for a journey and make sure that as you go on that journey that you have everything that you need as you go out and have your journey. But he doesn't do that because it's not a journey that we're engaged in. He says that's, that's not what the day-to-day Christian life is like he could have used the illustration of an athlete um, engaging in a sports activity and he uses that elsewhere for for a different reason but he doesn't do it here because he doesn't want us to think that it's a game church there's a real fight there's a real battle going on and this idea of us in a battle and facing the battle in armor disabuses the notion that it's any kind of a game We have to be prepared. We need to know that the struggle is real. But praise the Lord that in the face of our struggle, Jesus Christ, the text says, provides the protection for us to live as God's people. Because whose armor are we putting on? God's armor. It's not mine and it's not yours. It comes from him to to us. Now, church, this doesn't mean that every single moment of your life 
that you're thinking, I'm in a battle, I'm in a battle, I'm in a, in a battle, because there are moments where we can sit back and we can enjoy and we can say, Lord, look at what you have provided. Sunday coming to church and this idea of a day of, of rest because we rejoice in who he is and what he's done. But, but listen, when we go back out, when we go into the world, the struggle is real, but the protection is there for us. And what I want us to consider now is look at how the armor is described. Uh, in verses 14 through 17, we see the full description, but it breaks down like this. The armor of God is identified as the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the armor as we see it laid out in the text. These are the different elements of the armor. And a lot of people have said, so what is the armor then? Like, like what is it? Well, here's what it is said to be. But that literally doesn't get out like what the armor is. I mean, what is the belt of truth? What, what is meant by that? Now, I want to break it down and be as, as simple as I can today. Because a lot of people have come to the armor of God and they've said a lot of different things about the armor and what it means. In fact, in fact why is truth tied to the belt? And, and why is the gospel of peace tied to shoes? And why does he say it's the helmet of sal salvation? And, and so there's a lot of speculation as far as why God connects these different aspects of, of our Christian faith with these different elements of armor. And listen, the, the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't go into great detail. Um, different people have written on it. There was one Puritan writer who wrote a book on this very passage and it was 1,200 pages long. 1,200 pages long. If I'm not mistaken, that was a double-columned 1,200 pages. And so you can see that there could be a lot that could be said, but I don't have that much time. <laughs> but here's what I can say. When you take the armor as you see it up there on the screen and you see it in God's Word, here's what you can say. God is trying to communicate to you with the identification of each and every piece of this armor, the belt, the shoes, the sword, the helmet, the shield, the breastplate. He's trying to tell us one very simple thing, and that is this. God's armor is thorough and complete. It's thorough and complete. Nobody back then reading this would look at that and, and say, oh, but he doesn't have this. No, no. Like if you just read that, what he's trying to say is that God's armor is thorough and complete. You have everything you need for the battle. That's what's being said. At minimum, that's what we can say. You and I should look at that and say, isn't this amazing? God's armor doesn't lack anything. There's nothing that we don't have to face what is coming at us. We are a thoroughly equipped soldier in our battle. But, but what is it? What is his armor? Well, here's what you need to know about this armor. Everything mentioned here, the truth, peace, salvation, faith, the word of God, everything mentioned here has already been said to be possessed by you through Jesus Christ. Did you know that? So he's not introducing us to something new. He's not coming and introducing us to something new with this. He's saying, listen, everything that you see in this list is something that I have already talked about. And so what is the armor of God? If you're taking notes, it's this. It's the truth. It's the faith. It's the righteousness, peace, and salvation we possess through Jesus Christ. That's what the armor of God is. It is 
what God has given you through Jesus Christ. Every one of these things has already been mentioned in the book of Ephesians as having come to you and being possessed by you through Jesus Christ. Did you know that? So he's not introducing a new thought. All he's doing is he's saying, listen, I'm gonna get ahead of myself here for a second. He's saying, everything that you've already received, those things which are a great blessing to you and change your identity and give you new life and all of those things, they're not just simply things that you come and say, man, that makes me feel good about myself. That encouraged me to know that those things now are true of me because of Jesus Christ. He's saying, no, all of those things can be used in defense. All of those things can be used by you to be able to stand they're not just treasures you possess, but they're things that can be used by you to fight against the flesh and against the devil. And you already have them. In Ephesians 1.13, he talked about the truth that we have. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, you have truth. Righteousness. In Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. That's righteousness. The forgiveness of your sins, the removal of your trespasses, you stand before God as holy. He addresses the people in Ephesus as saints, as holy ones. You can't be holy unless you are righteous. This is, you've, you've radically been changed. We have peace. I loved when we saw this in Ephesians chapter two, it says, and he came in verse 17 and preached peace to you who were far off and those who were near. He says, the dividing wall of hostility was broken down. You have been brought into the family of God. Church, you have peace. You have faith for by grace you have been saved. Through what? Faith, not by, it's a gift of God, not by works that no man can boast. What's the gift of God that you have received? It's grace and faith. They've come to you. You have this. You have salvation. That helmet of salvation, he says, again in verse 13, when the word of truth came, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. Salvation is yours over and over again already in the book of Ephesians. All those things that are referred to as the armor of God are things you already have. You already have because God gave them to you through Jesus Christ. Church, it's as simple as this. You possess in Jesus Christ the means by which you can battle and stand against the flesh and the devil. Amen to that. Praise God for that. It's not that you're, you're hoping you can stand. No, you, you will stand. In fact, look back at the text. When you go, verse 17, it says, it says this. I'm sorry, in verse 16, it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can potentially avoid the flaming arrows of the, is that what it says? No, by which you can extinguish how many? All the flaming darts. Isn't this, it's not just some. He says, this, this armor that you have been given, that you, these riches that you already have in Christ are actually the means of, of your defense against the devil and against the sinful nature. And so what does it mean to put on the armor of God? It's very simply this, using what you have in Jesus Christ to face your enemies. 
It's using what you have in Jesus Christ to face your enemies. It's taking what you have and appropriating it. Not just leaving it there, but recognizing it and using it. In just a moment, I'm going to show us how we ultimately use it day to day. But I'm reminded when I read this of what sometimes Christians do. That we don't know what we really have. And so when the struggle comes, we don't know what, how to use it. Do you remember the movie Castaway? Did anybody see that Tom Hanks movie? It came out a number of years ago. I'm going to tell you and spoil the movie all at once. It's going to be great. So if you've never seen the movie, Tom Hanks is a FedEx employee who has an airplane crash somewhere in the Pacific, gets stranded on a desert island. He is by himself on this desert island, and with him wash up on shore all of the FedEx packages that were in the airplane. And so he's going to try and survive on the island, and so he opens up all the FedEx packages trying to find elements that could help him. One of the funny parts is that he opens up a box, and it's a pair of figure skates. And he's like, how's figure skates going to help me on a deserted island? So he opens up all the boxes, but he doesn't open up one box. For whatever reason, maybe because he's a FedEx employee, and, he, and he, that one box is, is his hope that one day he can still deliver it. And so he's on the island, I, I think it's like seven years or something like that. And the movie ends with him getting off the island, surprise, uh, it ruined it. And then he takes that one box that he's never opened and he gives it to a woman and then, that, then that's how the movie ends. And you never know what's inside the box. You never know what's inside the box. So um, at Super Bowl 37, FedEx made fun of themselves in front of the movie. And they did a short commercial where a guy, just like Tom Hanks, washes up on an island with all these FedEx boxes and he opens them all up except for one box and years later he gets rescued and unlike the movie, he goes and he takes it to the final person and he delivers the FedEx box and at the very end of the commercial, she looks at him when he hands it and she just says, thank you. And then he starts to walk away but he says, if I may ask, what was in the package after all? And she opens it and shows him the contents. And she says, oh, nothing really, just a satellite phone, a global positioning device, a compass, and a water purifier, and some seeds. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's that humorous moment where this guy has been on this island the whole time, and the means for his survival was right there for him. But he never what? He never appropriated it. He never used what was available to him. Church... Paul is saying, God the Father is saying to you, don't let that be true of you. Don't be a people who don't know what you have. And then don't be a people who know what you have, but don't come and, and use it in your walk with me to be able to live out the life that you have. I think of an example in the gospel of Luke, of Luke chapter 8, that gives us an idea of what it's like to take what you have and appropriate it. Do you remember the story? Jesus is, is on the Sea of Galilee, and he's asleep in the bow of the boat, and a storm raises up, kind of like what's happening today, right? Storm raises up, and the disciples come to him in verse 24, and Jesus is not awoken, and they're like, Master, Master, we are perishing. We're dying. You're not doing anything. We're, we're going to die. Now, who is in the bow of the boat sleeping? It's Jesus. It's, it's the Son of God. These men, it wasn't as though they didn't know. Like, they had seen Jesus perform miracles already. They had heard his teaching. He was, he was remarkable to them. And yet, they're on the boat, and they think they're going to perish. And what does Jesus do? He wakes up, and he does two things. He rebukes the waves, and then he rebukes the disciples. And he rebukes the disciples by telling them this. Maybe you've heard the story. He says, where is your faith? 
Where is your faith? What's he saying to them? Is he saying that there are people who don't have faith? No, what he's saying to them is, you know who I am. You know me. You've spent time with me. You've seen me. We've, we've, we've spent time together. And, and in this scenario now, all of a sudden, you're not going to what you know of me. Where is your faith isn't a statement that they don't have it. It's a statement that, that they're not appropriating all that they know of Jesus in that moment. They're letting fear get the better of them. They're doubting Jesus' care for them. And so when God's word comes to you and to me and he says, would you put on the armor of God? He's calling us to say, do you know what you have because of Jesus? And do you know how to utilize what you have? You see, we have truth, church. We have God's word. Do you see how verse 17 there at the end in verse 13? Verse 13 says that we have the truth, the belt of truth, and then we have the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the God. It kind of bookends the armor. Where do we get our truth from, church? Do we get it from society? Do we get it from our friends, from our neighbors? No, truth comes to us through this word. And he says, you have, you have the truth, you have God's word. It's been given to you. It's, you're in possession of it. And so what do we have? Well, when the thoughts come, when the battle comes, when people are saying things about us, we don't have to just go and accept what they say. We don't have to accept what we even think about ourselves. Instead, God comes and says, would you submit your thoughts to my truth? Hold up what the world says. Hold up what your heart is saying and say, but is that true of me? I have not left you alone, but I've given you my truth. Not only that, we have his righteousness. You are not a sinner. That's not your identity. According to the word of God, we saw this and we talked about this. According to the scriptures, we are saints. That's who we are to be a saint is to be a holy one. You can only be a holy one if you've been made righteous. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been given to us. And when you, when you are focused in upon this truth that I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if you're, if you're there, when the temptation to sin comes, you know that that thing that you are being tempted to do you look at that and you say, that goes against God's word. Anything that goes against God's word is unholy. I'm not unholy. I am holy. And so that thing over there is unholy. That's off limits to me because holy ones don't do that thing. It's an easy way to not excuse sin in your life when you're living in and coming back to that your status in Christ as righteous. We sang the song earlier when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, what do you do? When you sin and you aren't a holy one, what do you do? How do you deal with the fact that you failed to meet the standard of God? We sang it in the song. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just, he's satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's taking up the righteousness that we have. That's, that's coming to who we are and what we have. I have a righteousness and so I am not guilty. That is not who I am. We have peace with God. 
The gospel of peace has come to us. Man, I think about life in this world, and I think sometimes about the difficulties we all face. You experience this in the conflict of relationship. Tell me there's not some relationships that you have and conflict that you've experienced with other people, and it is just emotionally exhausting. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's in the workplace. Those conflicts with others, a lack of peace in relationship can be so, so draining. And some of you might be like, like, well, I've never experienced it. I'm like, well, you're the problem. That's why you're the person that's draining the other. No, like, but when we come to the word of God, when we're faced in those things and we want to respond to, to the conflict that we have with others in our sin, we say, wait a sec, wait a sec. I have peace with God. My peace with God was purchased through a work that he did, not through a work that I did. Like the greatest conflicts that I will experience on this earth pale in comparison to the fact that at one time I was separated from God, I was his enemy, and yet he made me not just a friend, but his son or his daughter, which means that every conflict here on this earth is only temporary because my eternal conflict has been rectified which means that not only do I have the strength to face those conflicts, but I have the peace of God in my heart to say, no matter what happens in this world, no matter how torn apart I might be in relationship with others, I'm at peace with my God, and that peace will extend on into eternity. And so this slight and momentary afflictions, Paul would write, is storing for us this weight of glory. So I go to the peace I have with God to comfort my heart when I have conflict with others. We, we have salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ, that helmet of salvation. And, and, and we think about the fact that when the attacks come and we think, I don't have to justify myself before God with my good deeds. Christ has done it all. And so the good that I do isn't to make God love me and accept me, although every other relationship in my life feels like that's what I have to do. Salvation has come to me through Jesus Christ. I'm saved and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so when I do sin, I know that nothing can rip me out of my Father's hands. There's a security that we have in a world where insecurity wants to reign. Church, to put on the full armor of God is to resist the lies of Satan with your gospel convictions and my gospel convictions in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know who you are in him? Because if you don't, then you won't be able to appropriate that armor. That's why we sing the songs we do. We do the studies that we do so that we can recognize what God has provided to stand. In 2 Corinthians, Chapter 10, verse 5, it makes sense why Paul would write that we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. We submit all of our thinking to him. And so I wrote this week, this down, I, as I was studying this, I said, don't overthink the armor of God. You could write 1,200 pages on it, but you don't need 1,200 pages on the armor of God. You need to know that the armor is everything that you already have through Jesus Christ. And the way to appropriate the armor, the way to ultimately use what you have in Christ well, we actually see a glimmer of it in the Old Testament. In Psalm 103, it says this. You know this psalm probably if you've been around the church like me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And do you know what comes next? And forget not what? All his benefits. 
Even the psalmist knew back then that for the people of God, we needed to not forget his benefits. Verse three says, who forgives, what are those benefits? Who forgives all your iniquity, righteousness, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, peace with God, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We have in God all that we need. Do we go to those things? Do we apply what we have in the things that we face? Before I close with this final point, let me just say this. Listen, in light of all of this, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if we believe God's word to be true, and we do, in light of all of this, what this scripture is telling us is that if you don't have Christ as your Savior, then you do not have what you need to stand against the devil and against the sinful nature. And so instead of standing, you are going to fall. And that fall might happen here on this earth in, in ways that are destructive to you and towards relationship. You, we see the impact of when we don't fight against and succeed in our battle against these things. But to be more feared than that is when the day of judgment comes you won't be able to stand against the wrath of God. It will come upon you. And so my prayer for you is that you would be able to stand because you have looked to Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in him. I don't want anybody to leave here today not being able to, to have what Christ freely offers to those who would believe in, in him. That's my heart's cry for you. But to pull this all together in closing, how do we put the armor on daily? I'm gonna tell you this, it's so simple. It's so simple, I was tempted, I told the first hour, I almost feel embarrassed to say what I'm about to say. But the simplicity doesn't mean that it's not true. Are you ready for this? When you look at the rest of the text, it's very evident that we put the armor on by constantly engaging God through his word and prayer. Through his word and prayer, we put on the armor of God by knowing his word, engaging with his word, and communicating with the one who grants us the power and grants us the protection. We pray. We, we come to the word and study. It's, I don't think it's an accident that the, that the armor of God starts with truth and ends with God's word, and then immediately following that, Paul says this, praying some of the times, specifically Sunday and Wednesday nights, is that what he says? No, praying how many times? At all times, because you have the Spirit with what kind of prayer? All prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and for me also. Church, prayer is the means by which we stay in fellowship with the Lord. You need it and I need it. His word is how he speaks to us. Prayer is how we speak to him and are reminded in prayer how desperately we need him because look at the kinds of prayers that we're supposed to pray. Prayers of supplication, praying and asking God for his help. Lord, I pray that you would help me to understand my righteousness 
in you as I'm feeling the guilt for the, for the sins I've done this week. Help me to see your forgiveness. Lord, help me not to be anxious about this situation because I know that I have the greatest peace that I would need and that peace transcends all of my other situations. Lord, help me in this moment to live in the faith that you have given me, to believe when, Lord, everything around me tells you I cannot do this, this thing. We are to come to him. We are to pray to him, to constantly engage him in prayer. It's just so simple. Like I said, that I, I was almost like, is, is this all that it is? And notice, it's not just you praying for yourself, but church, there is no mistake in my mind why he does what he does here. He tells us that we're supposed to pray for ourselves, but who else are we supposed to pray for? One another. He says, pray for all, how many of the saints? <laughs> All the saints, the person sitting next to you right now, you might not know their name, but I guarantee you, they need help with the armor of God. Do you find yourself praying for the people in this church, for the saints around you, not just in your family, but literally for one another? Do you know what happens when you're praying for somebody else? When you're praying for, for the armor of God and for the truths of who we are to be, to be used as armor in the life of other people, you're being reminded yourself of how desperately you need it and how it's only how you would have those things as well that you could stand. So he says, pray for yourself, but pray for one another. Lift one another up and nobody is beyond this. You know why I say that? Because Paul says, pray also for who? For me. He's the guy that wrote this, inspired by God. Like, shouldn't he be sufficient of himself? And Paul says, I know myself well enough to know that I need prayer as much as anyone else. Church, when I take a step back and I look at this, I think, may we not look at the simplicity of what it means to put on the armor and how we can put it on by coming to the word and coming to the Lord in prayer. Let's not be like Naaman the leper. You do know the story of Naaman the leper? In 2 Kings 5, Naaman the leper was a soldier from a from far off country who heard about the prophet Elisha and heard about the wonderful things that he had done. And so he came to Elisha and he said, listen, I know that you have a man that can do great things. And Elisha's like, that's nice. It's not me who does them, God does them. He says, I have leprosy. Tell me whatever you want me to do and I will do it. And he's anticipating that, you know, he's a soldier, and so he's going to have to accomplish some, some feat of strength, some task, climb a mountain, kill an animal, fight someone in battle, and then God will reward him with healing. And Elisha comes to him, and, he, and actually Elisha doesn't even speak to him directly. He sends his, his servant, and he says, I want you to go bathe in the Jordan River seven times. The icky, stinky Jordan River, where I want you to go, I want you to bathe in it. And you know what Naaman says? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do, that's it? No, I, I, it has to be something more than that. I can't just simply do this simple task. And he decides that he's not going to do it. And, and then his servant comes to him and he's like, I mean, come on, man. Just like, would you give it a chance? Would you just, I mean, I know he could ask you, but he didn't. Would you go? And so he goes. And he bathes seven times. And the first time nothing happened. Second time nothing happened. Third time. But on that seventh time when he rises out of the water, he's healed. God just had a simple word for him. Would you, would you just do these things and you'll experience this? Paul comes to us, God comes to us and says, it's really that simple. Keep coming to my word, it's your truth, it's your sword, and pray. 
Remain in communication with me on these things. Valley Center Community Church, my dear brothers and sisters, what good news of great joy we've seen in the book of Ephesians that Jesus Christ has delivered us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Father. But not just that, what good news that we have today, that if you are in Jesus Christ, you are righteous, you have truth, you have salvation, you have peace with God, you have the word of God. What good news that we are able to live in this world in constant contact with the one who provides all that we need. And and as we leave this book, oh, may we boldly and daily put on everything that he has already provided. And I close with this verse. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he said this in Romans 13, 12. He said to that church, church, the night is far gone for you. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. May God help us, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, so precious are you to us. Your kindness and mercy, the grace that you show exceeds anything that we'll ever experience by anyone else on this earth that we'll ever be able to show to anyone. Lord, you lavish it upon us. And you do that, Lord, in so many ways. We have been welcomed into your family because of a work that Christ did. We've been made new creations because what Christ has done. And then you come and you keep speaking, you keep teaching and helping us through your word. And so, Lord, I would just pray that we would not forsake the grace and the means that you have given us to to daily live in the power of Christ and the protection of Christ as we would come to your word time and time again, as we would be in constant contact with you through, through prayer. Lord, let us avail ourselves of what we have. Let's not be a people who carry around a FedEx package that has everything that we need and just, and never utilize it. Lord, because we have Christ and we are grateful and we worship you for him. And it's in his name that we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen.